0: Welcome back to the Fit CFO Show. I'm your host, Amanda Hanquist, and together with my husband, Sean, we created this podcast as a way to help you reach your business's financial goals. We'll help you break down common financial myths and mistakes in business and share with you the tools and knowledge to take your business to the next level. Our hope is that you will become financially equipped for success in your business and, in turn, help our mission to make this world a healthier place. If you get value out of this podcast, we just ask that you please share it and leave us a review so that we can continue to grow and help health and fitness businesses succeed. Today on the show, I am so excited to bring to you the founder and CEO of Alloy Personal Training Franchise. Since 1992, Rick Mayo and his team have helped major brands, independent gyms, health clubs, and fitness businesses deploy their personal training model under the Alloy brand. Since then, they have helped transform millions of lives and over 3,000 fitness centers from around the world and is now becoming a major franchise brand themselves. Rick is a wealth of entrepreneurial knowledge, and I am so excited to welcome him to the show today, so that we can learn from him. This is the Fit CFO Show. Thank you for being on today. I know that. Well, thanks. I know that our <laughs> listeners course. are going to get a lot from you. So yeah, um, thanks for
1: having me. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just been listening to you know your experience with um, being an entrepreneur and really a pioneer in the space. It sounds like, but very first. I thought it would be quite fitting to start this podcast out with a joke or two.
1: I would love that.
0: <laughs>
1: I would love I've that.
0: Been listening to some of yours, and maybe you might have a joke as well.
1: <laughs> I'm, you know what? I don't have one on deck. I'm like, Bang. oh I'm man. Like, wait, wait, maybe, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> maybe,
0: this will have but I'll one.
1: get one for you. All, All right, absolutely. I've got one for you.
0: Do you have one for right. me or no? Absolutely, I do.
1: All right, you you go first.
0: All right. Why? You probably know this one. Um, why did the football coach go to the bank?
1: I don't. Why?
0: To get his quarterback.
1: Oh, <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Okay. So I, got, I don't have this one like memorized, but I thought it was pretty good. So, um, so the, an elderly wife in church turned to her husband and said, um, I've just done a silent fart. What should I do? And he said, check the batteries in your hearing aid. <laughs> That's
0: a good one. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah okay. there you go. I got one more. This is, a course of course, fi- a finance one. But yep. air used to be free at the gas station. Now it costs $2. You want to know why? Sure. Inflation. <laughs>
1: So oh, no. dumb. <laughs> oh, so specific. That's good. Right on my nose, man. Perfect. I love it.
0: Yes. Okay, cool. Well, let's get down to business. All
1: right, got no. that out of the way. Let's talk about some boring business stuff now. Yeah.
0: yeah. I was listening to several of your podcasts just to get to know you a little bit more, a little bit about, you know, your brand, everything that you guys stand for. And of course, I met you at the Growth Summit recently in Nashville. Sean and I went to yes. that and Really, you were one of the speakers that um, I resonated with a lot. One thing that I loved reading about or listening to about your brand is how you have sort of this one-on-one setting um, for your clients, but your franchise is, is scalable, you know, for your franchise owners. And so it sounds like you kind of match client to coach with, you know, also that small group dynamic. And I'm sure you can explain it better Um, but I love how you obviously put the the client value first, but you also want to create this brand this franchise that's scalable for your franchisees. So how did you, I guess, come up with that model or can you explain that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, it all started, you know, we opened in 1992, which certainly ages, but you know, I'm I'm proud of it now. It's like, at some point you're just like, fuck it. I'm old. You're like, it it it. is what it is. (laughs) It is what it is. Listen to me, junior, you know, So. Um, so we opened yeah exactly exactly so in 92 when we opened we did one-on-one training for the first 10 years of our business and it was really great i mean it was a it made a lot of money um what ended up happening though is when we first launched it was just for the cool kids right so we had like a you know i'm in atlanta it's like RB capital everywhere so you know we had like usher and i mean well before usher even like la reid madonna i mean those were the type of clients that purchased personal training from us back then mm-hmm. and then what we noticed is as the industry evolved because when i opened personal training we had to explain on the phone what is a personal trainer like, what do you even do, you know, right. why do you, what what is it like what do you do you yeah. know that kind of idea and so as it evolved it became like something that people would recognize as something that they should do for their health and so you know, I always say this but if it i fit into the ordinary category but it went from sort of like what the cool kids are doing to like what ordinary folks are now recognizing that they need the accountability and specificity right mm-hmm. and when we when we figured that out that it was a you know going to be a legit industry um we needed a way to scale it and what that really meant was it needs to be a little bit less expensive to the consumer because you just can't scale can't help as many people if you're charging 80 dollars an hour as you can if you can get that per session cost down to 30 as an example right right, right. And then also organically, we would find that, you know, say you were coming in and you were saying, hey, can I bring a friend that lives with in my neighborhood? And we're like, sure. You guys might pay a little less. The overall hour was more valuable to the gym and the coach. And we had more fun, right? Because there was like yeah. a friend dynamic. Now there was like a wingman concept where they were also holding you accountable. And yeah. That led to like, well, this is awesome. You know, what if we brought a third person into our group, right? Another wow. friend from the neighborhood kind of thing. And it was like, hmm. And so that was happening in mass um, at our main facility. And it was like, you know what? I bet there's something here. And so we literally made the wholesale change from one-on-one training to what we call small group personal training. Now, it's a weird term because some people call like what I would call class-based concepts, like 20 people. They'll call that small group, but yeah, come on. Right, Um, right. So literally based on the number of heads, you know, we did small group and we learned how to scale that and we tried three and then four and then we went to eight and it was like, that's too many and then back and then we landed on six is like the magic number that's as many people as we can put in front of one coach at a time, with the right techn- technology, communication tools and programming to still be personal training. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, to bring the price threshold down so that it is actually scalable. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, our average spend is over $300 a month for our clientele, not just for us, but franchisees as well. And so it's not cheap, but to the right customer avatar, it's a great value because, you know, you you guys, you and and your husband work out all the time. If you hire a personal trainer at, say, a big lifetime fitness or something like that, it's going to be $100 an hour. Plus, you have to buy a membership. So it is a good value to the right customer avatar, which affects real estate choices, where we put them, you know, all of our ad content and everything speaks to 45 to 65 with money. Right. And and so that's what we learned to do was to scale personal training. And it it put us into this interesting situation. We're one of the highest revenue per square foot facilities in the country. And so then we, we, I started speaking, you know, we started doing a lot of consulting and people were asking for like parts and pieces of what we do. Like, can you, can you give us your sales system? Can you write our workouts? I mean, whatever those requests were, so we decided about 12 years ago, like, hey, instead of doing all that, let's just put it onto an online platform. We'll white label, you know, sell it to people. Um, we'll do some consulting on the front and then we'll sell them the parts and pieces of the things that they need and all live on this online platform. And we called yeah. it licensing. And so we did that to the tune of, you know, 2500 gyms almost worldwide, um, everywhere from literally, you know, India, Cyprus, Dubai, you know, all over the world. Um, and so it really gave us sort of a big cheat sheet to, to what is scalable, where there are real holes in the market. Um, you know, it also put me on the advisory board for some of the biggest franchises in the world, like Anytime Fitness and at 5,000 locations. So to, to understand, opportunities like, there. right, well, and even, you know, because, you know, typically fitness concepts don't let franchisees buy other fitness concepts. Mm-hmm. We're the same way, and any times that way. So it wasn't like I was building a market that I could market to per se.
0: Sure,
1: but sitting on their advisory board and learning how to deploy and operationalize coaching services in a franchise structure right. was a really good way to learn. Like, okay, where where are things that we that they do well? What are the things that we can do better? Yeah. Um, but it was a real, it was an amazing experience. And we learned a lot. the same thing for Gold's Gym and some other big brands. And so eventually, Boutique Fitness was coming to us saying, hey, can you design our sales system and workouts? And these are big brands that everybody has heard of. Yeah. And it was like, instead of helping people like us, let's do our own franchise. And yeah. so that was right at the end of 2019, which is, turns out was not great timing, as we know, for 2020 <laughs> <laughs> for a fitness franchise. But um, we did fine. And then we sold like eight right out of the gate, you know, and now um, we really we really shut it down. and we're still servicing our licensing customers. So we tried to help them through the pandemic with technological solutions, things like that for yeah. you know, virtual training, anything that we could do, right? And then we sort of restarted the franchise sales process after the pandemic. Um, yeah, we're up over 50 now and we'll 10 open pretty soon. And so we're just plugging away, but it's been a lot of fun. So sort of long 30-year evolution of like, me on the floor every day as a personal trainer while I'm in college to like, okay, hiring other coaches to, you know, just on and on and on until eventually full on franchising. So it hasn't Mm -hmm. happened overnight, but it's been fun.
0: I love the, I guess the journey of the evolution of it. And then, you know, because I'm sure people look at you now and look at the alloy brand now and they're, they're thinking, wow, that's amazing. Must be nice. Right. But you're thinking, man, this was, was quite the journey. You, You paid your dues, you put in your time, you had to learn, from the trenches it's not like you just woke up one day and there it was
1: a hundred percent so and be and careful what you wish for right like like last week I spoke or week two weeks ago I spoke at Perform Better which is typically like more of a coach facing you know personal trainer facing conference and that's a great organization I've been speaking for them for like 10 years they do a great job but you know when you talk to these young folks that are in the audience and they're they're looking at you and you were them at one point and they're yep. like wow well, I really want to do what you do and I'm like well do you really because I mean, one of my favorite things that I've ever done is to work hands-on with customers. I, I never thought like, oh, uh, this sucks. I don't want to do this forever. I can't wait to not be doing this. I mean, I think most of the people in the room, if they knew what a day in the life of really looked like for me, it's yeah. really not that exciting. Like, it's, right. um, it, you know, it's like your world. It's like, yeah, you're in fitness and, and you guys are like the buffest CFOs <laughs> I've ever seen. But <laughs> i you about that. Like, it's amazing. But most of the work is just. It, you could be literally CFOs for a different industry, an auto industry, or something boring. It's, but the mechanisms are the same. Yep. Same for me. So I spend most of my days speaking to attorneys and talking about compliance and you know building oh, yeah. systems and like top you know, level boring technology. It's the most boring stuff ever. <laughs> now the the why is very. Com- Compelling, just like you guys, you're helping fitness owners be financially successful. And that is very compelling because that drives an industry that you're obviously passionate about personally, right? Same thing for me, but I'm way far away from what we do, you know, our end game. Um, In some ways, it sounds silly to that young coach who says, I can't wait to, you know, I would like to try to do what you're doing um, to say, well, I'm sacrificing in a lot of ways what I would like to do a day in the life of. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing hard, boring work that I don't necessarily enjoy. But yeah. the whys are compelling enough because if I do it, then I can give other people a, a vehicle for entrepreneurship, which I love that I teach a local class at a college on entrepreneurship. I love like helping people realize that. I think the yeah. emotional returns on investment for becoming an entrepreneur are amazing. It, you literally have to be a different person, right? Yeah. I think the way I've heard it described is like entrepreneurship is a personal development journey, you know, disguised as business. Yeah, so I know sure. what will happen to people if they can get there, right? So that and then also like what are they doing for their communities? I mean, like we've got, you know, people all over the world with alloy tattoos because it's changed their life, right? Yeah. For what's happened to them. So that's yeah. worth, you know, grinding away and doing meetings and sitting at a boardroom table every day and the things that like don't necessarily seem like they're part of my life cuz you know, curate it and it's you know, it's probably like you guys, it's like, I see your kids and I see you guys working out all the time. And I'm like, wow, fitness CFO, that means just like you work out and you know how to talk about numbers. It's like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah <that's laughs> but Like you said, glimpse, that's what people yeah. see. And it sounds, it looks amazing. And it's great mm-hmm. to be able to paint that picture. But yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, look, every step of it has its challenges. It's, you know, Upsides and downsides. I think my biggest challenge when I was training clients because it was so easy was just scheduling and like, you know, where am I going to get my lunch in today or how am I going to squeeze my workout in? Right. Yeah, Those a were the things. Different
0: set of challenges.
1: Yep. Yeah, different set of challenges. No, no less or more, just different, right?
0: Well, and what um, you said really reminds me of that E-Myth book. Um I love that book because it really talks about it. My favorite part in that book is when it talks about the lady that loved to make pies and then she decided to open up a business to be a pie maker and all of a sudden she just absolutely hated it and didn't want to do it anymore. You know, you got to realize right. like what part of your job do you want to do? Because that's really the the truth of being an entrepreneur is you have to love the entrepreneurship more than the actual uh, job title. If that makes yeah. sense.
1: Well, we say that even for coaching, it's like, are you in love with your, the way that you coach people? Or are you in love with helping people by any means okay. necessary? Right. And that will allow you that's to be, yeah. Like at the granular level from a coaching standpoint, you've seen this. If you are if, if you hire a personal trainer that is a power lifter, you're probably doing really heavy deadlifts, right? If you hire a personal trainer that's a triathlete, you're doing lots of cardio. If you hire somebody who believes in CrossFit, you're doing, you know, time to workouts as fast as you can. So it's really hard for coaches to disassociate their likes and dislikes from what their client needs, right? Yeah. But that's really to your point, we really just have a passion for helping people. And we are going to build the best vehicle for the entrepreneur and the clients to get there, right? That's really what I'm really in love with. And the necessary evils are all the other things. The same for you. Like, you know, we talk about a who, not how. I think I talked about that in in the talk that that you guys heard where, like, do I really want to learn budgeting and doing my books and tax ramifications for different decisions? Or should I find a who, which would be you guys? Like, let me hire people that understand my business they understand like literally the mindset of the type of ownership of the business that I have and they can take the things off of my plate that I need to yes. so you don't have to learn every aspect of business you don't and Absolutely. your service is case in point like mm-hmm. learning finance is probably not going to be super exciting for people it's very nuanced and complex there's things that change every year whether it's tax laws or whatever those things are Absolutely. strategies and and those are diametrically opposed sometimes to the, the type of mindset it takes to grow a business, right? Like you heard me probably talk a little about about the Enneagram. You know, if you, you ever studied yep. the Enneagram, it's just like a personality. Now. Yep. So there's like yep. nine personalities explaining. and there's one of them that's a six and, it, mm-hmm. and there's none of them are wrong. They're just different. Yep. And the Enneagram sixes are like the ones where if we're at a boardroom table and I've got this new initiative and I'm like been, you know, simmering, you know, on the, or, you know, pondering this thing for weeks and I launch it, I'm so excited. there's always that one person who's like, well, you know, if we do that, it's going to take some (laughs) away from this budget or or the third quarter. I'm like, you know, and it's like, you just, that person drives you crazy. But the best story that, yes. And that's typically going to be your accountant, your attorney, right? They're going to keep you, they're going to put guardrails around your life to keep you from driving off the road and killing yourself. And the best story that I heard about that was um, they studied a troop of chimpanzees and for a year. And there was a subset of that group that was like, really always alarming everything so like imagine there's a you know some of the chimps just like to party and have a good time yeah and there's just a few of them that are always like in the trees like screaming and every, alerting all the time and everyone's like you know it's like just get rid of them <laughs> oh, no, and they so know. they did yeah. so they removed the like anxious chimps from the i think it's called a troop i don't know what posse whatever we call a bunch of chimps right so yeah. they were they removed yeah. them from the group right well within one year all the other chimps were dead because there was no one saying like, oh, "Yo, hey, there's wow. a jaguar over here. You guys might want to quit whatever you're doing over there, right?" Pay yeah. attention. And so it's just a, a silly story to point to the fact that you need those important. people in your life. As long as they're healthy, you don't want Debbie Downers or whatever. Right. But you need that person who's like, "Hold on a minute. That sounds great, but right yeah. here's your budget, or here's mm-hmm. this. There's like like that's going bl- to that's not yeah. a good idea. Yeah, too too much exposure or." you know, you don't want to extend yourself that far. And I mean, COVID exposed a lot of that for people, like whether it was their personal finances, right. Or their their business, they didn't have that, that solid moat around the castle. And part of that moat, that thing that you're protecting is financial resources, right. And you just were
0: too extended. I listened to one of your talks on your Instagram and I really, really liked it. Um, But you talked about how you don't necessarily agree with the whole burn the ships, go all in, it's all or nothing attitude. And, Which, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, you've got to be okay, passionate good about your cause. You've got to be passionate. You've got to have that passion, right? The passion that passion drives us, it gets us through hard times. But we've got to be smart. We got to have a, a backstop. And we talk about that a lot: having a backup plan, having a business plan, having um, you know other forms of income, whether that is asking for investors or having a line of credit um, and not waiting until it's too late because what lender is going to lend to you when the times are down, you know? And, and so we talk about that a lot, but I wanted to bring that up today that I loved that one. No, that I, I
1: appreciate that. And I was going to ask you, I mean, you answered already, like, what is your, what is your take on that? But I think when people are talking about that, even people that have a big social media presence that have a great, Seemingly great business now, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: they'll talk about that, you know, fondly, like, you know, you got to go all in, burn the ships, no backup plan, don't leave yourself anything, uh, any other options. And I think that made sense, because they're speaking to that through the time that they launched their original thing when they didn't have anything to lose. You know, we always joke about. It. They're probably living in a van down by the river. It's like that's what you don't saying. have a probably lot. Probably
0: twenty years old, living in their parents' basement without kids, right? But if you're thirty right. something and you have a mortgage and children, like you can't quite. You got to do things a little differently.
1: And I don't know anyone, and certainly you guys are exposed to all different levels of financial well-being. And I don't know anyone that's amassed any amount of wealth. And once they start to do that, they don't make those type of decisions ever. It's right. always first. Can I mitigate the downside or can I live with the worst case scenario? That's the decision, right? That's actually the biggest part of their decision is like, well, how risky is this, right? Um, And is it an upside? And if it's not funny money, they don't do it. And so that's the smart play, but what gets glamour glamorized is more the burn the ships go all in because if you make it, it's this like ah, you know, the yeah, 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 exactly. And so, but just keep in mind that that's only applicable if you don't have a lot to lose, right? If you don't have a lot of resources in your life, yeah.
0: Different. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I definitely came across that and I'm like, I totally agree. I like that somebody else out there is I'm glad someone smarter
1: than me agrees. That is very comforting to know.
0: <laughs> well, we saw you, like I said, at the Growth Summit. And I want to get into some of the things that you brought up during your speech a little bit because one of the one of my favorite things that you said, and maybe it's just because I love burgers, but um you said serve less on the menu and make a better hamburger. And I feel like maybe you agree, entrepreneurs are amazing people because we're wildly curious, ambitious, go, 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 right? All of the all of the things, but ultimately this can be a detriment because of the distraction. And so let's talk about this a little bit. Did you learn this the hard way or I guess what, um, what allowed you to really stand by this, you know, serve less on the menu thing?
1: Yeah. I think it's a combination of just experience and having made the mistakes and also just, you know, when you, when you get into entrepreneurship and you start to pay attention to different things, you know, you start to figure out there's some commonalities amongst the most successful, you know, people, whether it be a Steve Jobs type of person, you know, or, or these, you know, consummate entrepreneurs, or, you know, you read books, and it, you just start to, as you get up to like, a, say, like crop duster height, where you're looking down on your life and your business, it wow. becomes a little easier to sort of be like, oh, okay, you know, when you're in it, in the thick of it, sometimes you're really emotional, and you know you really don't make the best decisions, and yeah. then over time you, you just learn to be able to control your emotions a little bit, and you look at it, and you're like, Oh, okay, well, this thing that this initiative that I want to launch, it's literally just scratching my entrepreneurial itch, it's like a selfish thing that I'm doing, and then this neurosis that I have is going to manifest itself in my business, and what it's gonna manifest itself as is lots of different light items of revenue, which you'll also hear that, right? Like, you need at least seven forms of income it's like well do you because in, i mean it's fine once you nail the thing right yeah. like okay yeah. this vertical is we're killing it yeah. now yeah. i'm going to introduce this one right but it can't be at the expense of this one because that's what you typically see like we're hitting on yeah. all cylinders yeah. with yeah. membership so let's, let's launch it. supplements right. and it's like buy yeah. off the ball this goes up this comes down and there's this constant like flux and if we drew the baseline mm-hmm. they're, they're no better off than if they had just stayed in the one vertical and just crushed it right and done really well with that And so it's okay to add those, but you have to do it. I think I gave like a decision tree on how to do that, right? During that talk, like the questions you should ask is this ML wheelhouse? What type of resources? That's money, time, attention, right? What's the downside if it doesn't work? You know, all the things and people don't do that. They just like, this is pretty cool. I like it. I think my customers will like it, whatever that is. Let's put it out there. It's just not really the right way to go about it. So 100%, you know, stay focused. It's always keep the main thing. The main thing is very difficult to do. But if you can do that, you can typically move mountains. It's just really hard to keep things simple because you have to, again, you have a feeling or an excitement. An excitement's a feeling. And it's like you know you mistake that for a reality. And then you tell yourself with confirmation bias on research, all the things point to what you want to do. And then you launch it, right? And yep. then it doesn't work. And then you launch the next day. And I'm sure you guys have seen this, but what you run the risk of as well is say that your memberships aren't great and you're like, well, if we did nutrition, we could make a ton of money. It's like, listen, whatever things that you didn't accomplish in setting up the right systems for membership sales, if you don't nail that when you move to the next vertical or the next business, the same things are going to manifest themselves in the next business. You know, I think the best, the most profound lesson I had was, in 1998, we had a big hiccup in our business. We were doing a million bucks a year, a really small personal training place, which in 98 was a lot of money.
0: Heck yeah. And,
1: you know, uh, it was just right market, right place, right time, you know, no business systems, no nothing. I mean, made all the mistakes, yeah. contracted trainers, I mean, the whole, the whole, all of it. And mm-hmm. so all that imploded. And within a short period of time, we went from $83,000 to $12,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying, well, I could do business better, I did the thing that I see a lot of other people doing, which is like, well, I guess this just isn't going to work, right? I'll just go do something else. And at the time, my dad owned a business, and he was a salesperson. He owned like a manufacturer's rep business, um, and so I just reached out to him, and I'm like, "Hey, man, yeah, I was a gym struggling right now. Like, I think I'm going to shut it down. I, you know, is there any shot I can come to work for you?" And he was like, "No, no shot." And which I thought he was just going to be stoked to have his son come on board because right, right. literally the name of the company was like Mayo and Associates, like my last name, and I was like. <laughs> So offended, you know, but like my last
0: name, dad, come on, (laughs) yeah,
1: like no, you can't work here, kind of thing. I'm like, am I that kid? But, um, you know, he said quite literally, like, if you don't fix the problems that you have in your current business, they're going to show up in every other business that that you ever get into. And so it was like, oh, got it. And of course, I was upset, but I was like, all right, he he knows he knows best, and so sucked it up, learned how to do business better, and then I've made a career out of it. So it was like the best advice I ever got, but at the time, it was pretty hurtful but I think that's what people don't realize is like, you know, they'll say, okay, maybe my market's not deep enough or, you know, Oh, there's not enough, not enough. Like for you guys, Oh, there's not enough gyms that want CFOs and this isn't working or whatever. It's like, that's usually not true. It's like, you just got to do it better more often, double down, maybe more effort, you know, maybe both, maybe more, whatever, right. More marketing, all the, you go to more shows and stand in the booth and talk to people, you know, it's like, there's a lot of hard work in there. And I think if you, if you're not careful, you'll just skip from one thing to the X to the next. And even if you're looking for different light items or even you've got like eight half baked things going, none right. of them are really that compelling. And if you just focus on one, you could probably crush.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I mean, how difficult was that? Do you think for your dad to say that to his son, like, no, don't come work for me. Like that was probably <laughs> tough for him. It to- didn't
1: seem very difficult at all. I have <laughs> to admit <laughs> He seemed to enjoy it a little bit. I, if I'm honest, <laughs> I think he knew, I mean, you know how it is. It's like, I would say the same thing to someone now, if they were like, Hey Rick, I'm thinking about this and yep. you know, you want to be that guy. But I'm like, yeah, that's a terrible idea. Don't do it. And I'm really doing it for their best interest. Like I've you know, no you know, interest in telling them anything other than what will help them. And I would say, don't do it, you know, fix your yeah. stuff first because there's still a lot of runway left in what you're doing. You just aren't doing it well. Right. You're not charging enough or you're not servicing it well. It's not that there's no market. It could be that your product stinks, you know, or your service isn't that good. Maybe try to fix that. So anyway, it's, it's a tough lesson to learn, but it was invaluable.
0: Well, and you're also in the muddy middle, you know, and you talked recently about the Cantor's Law and about how things are just harder in the middle. And that, especially if you are an entrepreneur and you have a relatively new, venture everything's fun and exciting and woohoo at the beginning right but then like the middle that's the time when everybody wants to quit everybody wants to you know give up but you got to keep pushing along and like you said everybody has the same problems so fix your business before thinking you can do something
1: else 100% so what you uh, learn too is the like you I mean you, you understand it's like you guys launch a business it's like it's an interesting business model. I think it's really cool because there's not a lot of people doing it. And I think yeah. it's needed sorely needed. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you launch it, you're super excited. You guys are in into fitness. It's like, this is a way for us to help like our people. So, you know, our community, if you will, with your expertise, which is not prevalent in the fitness space. So it's like definitely a wide, a big, deep ocean to fish in there. Um, and then you think about like, okay, when we get to like 2000 gyms or whatever, we could do this and we'll do that, you know, and it's like, but then, in between those two, it's just obscenely hard, and it's like two steps forward, one step back, three forward, four back, whatever that is, and it feels like failure, but it's not. And mm-hmm. when you when you do reach whatever that first pinnacle is, because we've had so many like milestones that we've reached, like yeah. you know, again, if you told me you'd have two thousand gyms running a version of what you do, I would have been like, oh man, I'm out, I'll retire, it'd be amazing, right? right and then right. when you get there, it's always so anticlimactic, and then what you start to realize is like the the between stuff the middle stuff the two steps forward one step back that is the stuff right and when you look at the way your brains are wired i think the huberman lab um andrew huberman's a professor at stanford does a great podcast and he talked about the way the brain is wired is you set a challenge it could be physical emotional professional whatever You overcome that challenge and then it literally changes your brain chemistry, not even temporarily like a blip. It's like it literally changes your brain chemistry. And then you immediately need to move the goalpost out further and do it again. And that will happen from now until the day you die. And that is really the key to happiness, which flies in the face of like, if I could just get here, if I could just make this much money, I'd be happy. You won't. You'll get there. You'll have all the money you ever wanted 10 years ago. It's anticlimactic. Move the goalpost and keep going. I mean, that's yeah. what it's all about. So what you learn to appreciate is the middle, but it's yep. really hard to get your, your head around that, right?
0: I know. And it's so cliche. It's about the journey, not the, you know, I know, I know, it. I've got to figure
1: out a different way to say it other than that, know, but essentially that. that's that,
0: the reason yeah. I sit outside and eat breakfast in the morning. Evidently, if you have sun shining on your face when it's yeah, first
1: morning. thing in the morning, right? Yeah, anyway, yes, it's <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. I mean, he's, he Fun, does dude. some really, really interesting stuff. So, yeah. but I love that. I mean, here's the science of how brains work. And what the true source of happiness is and it turns out that it's hard work i right. mean ultimately so well, to try to get away from that or take a shortcut or whatever not only are you probably going to fail but you're actually robbing yourself of the real joy in doing the thing right or building a business learn, you'll look back yeah, on the hard parts learn, as right. most fondly yes right. Yep. yes and what have you had to overcome to get there to be like winning the lottery i mean i think we'd all try it of course if somebody gave us a billion dollars but You wouldn't appreciate it. And it's, you know, it wouldn't necessarily ruin your life because you guys are already successful, but it's not, you know, getting a trust fund or something like that as a kid. It's like, they're never going to appreciate it. Like you have to earn it to really appreciate it.
0: A hundred percent. Well, I don't know if you've heard about our story at all, but we own it. No, I'd love to know more. So tell me more. Like, how'd
1: you guys get started in this industry?
0: Well, we own an anytime fitness. So our, my story is a little bit jagged, um, but ultimately we owned an anytime fitness years ago and we didn't start it from the franchise, like from zero up, right. Um, we took over an existing one, which was honestly a detriment. We're young kids. This is the cool thing to do. Um, we didn't have a lot of competition in town, um, and reoccurring revenue was actually really good. Um, we didn't have any of the financial knowledge or the entrepreneurship experience that we have now, and um, we luckily had the opportunity to sell it and get out of there before things got super bad. but we did everything wrong. um you know, and i we like to kind of call that our leveling up period, and so it really kind of taught us ironically, how to, how to be better entrepreneurs or that everything we did there was completely wrong. And we've both been in the financial industry for a long time. I had, uh, kind of worked, 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 and had some issues with anxiety and decided I needed to start taking care of myself. And then kind of one thing led to another where I was getting asked about what are you doing with your nutrition? And so then I started doing some nutrition coaching and we started going to some of these conferences to learn more. And that was intriguing. And when we were going to those things, because Sean always came with me, we realized nobody knows a thing about the financial side of their business. Of course, that's what our background is in. And so that's where this concept of Fit CFO came from. Um, And that was in 2018. And, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where we really felt like this is where we belong. Like the nutrition coaching is cool, but how many lives can I personally touch one at a time? Versus, if we can help pe- people in business and help them understand this the financial side of their business more, I mean, we can help so many more people, right? So that's really where where our mission is, and kind of our story in a short little sandwich.
1: No, I love it. I mean, it's, it's. I mean, that's it. Like if if I could have guessed, that would have been it, right? Like mm-hmm. you've got this financial background, that's very rare in the fitness space. You're, you know, fitness consumers, if you will, right? Practitioners. Yep. both super fit. Um, and then like, wow, like maybe you can combine those two. That's amazing. And you're right. I will tell you for sure. You know, we ran into a guy a couple of years back, maybe seven, eight years back. And he was a, a retired hedge fund manager, really, really good guy, you know, um, with finance. And he had just taken on his best friend from high school owned a gym. We met this guy and we took, a, you know, he became like our virtual CFO. I don't know anybody else that's doing it and I'm not sure even he's really scaling it like the way that, you know, he, he probably could. Yep. So when I ran into you guys, I'm like, Oh, brilliant. I mean, really I haven't heard of it. Now there may be some out there that I haven't heard of, um, yep. but you're the only ones I've met right. That are yep. doing it. And I can tell you for us, it's invaluable. It really is. And so I'm so thankful that you guys are doing what you're doing. It's sorely needed and uh, just keep going. You know, I mean, there's wow. so many people that need your help. You're right. It's like, just to have somebody on your team, right, that you can reach out to and be like, "Hey, we want to we want to open three more gyms. What's the best financial strategy?" You're like, "All right, well, based on your credit and kind of, you know, here's here's how you would should set this up based on yeah. your situation." Those kind of things are value. Yeah.
0: So you're not just shooting from the hip all the time. You're, you know, you're actually having validated information to make decisions. So
1: right, yeah, it's yeah, love it.
0: So I really like how you talked about pretty good all the time instead of great sometimes. So I don't know if you've heard of the running coach, Jeff Cunningham. He has a quote that says it's better to be consistently good than occasionally great. And that when you said that at the growth summit, it reminded me of that. Um, what is your thoughts? Yeah. On that or what did you, um, I guess, elaborate on that when you said that at the growth summit?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, from my standpoint, I was speaking to that through customer experience. And, you know, it's everybody's trying to do things, um, you know, these days that create an amazing experience because there's a lot of fitness in the market. There is in every market. There's going to be a lot of co- competition. I mean, I'm in franchising. There's a million fitness franchises, right? So yeah. it's like, how do you differentiate yourself? And really, you know, when we look back at 25 years, 30 years, once a year, I sit down and kind of do this review of my life and the business as, as a lot of us do. And it was like, okay, what, what made us uniquely better a long time ago than now? And it was, well, you just had a an equally, uniquely better product. Like no one was had a facility dedicated to just personal training. Well, that's not a novel idea anymore. So then you start saying, well, what is our uniquely better today versus back then? Because there's plenty of people doing what we do, right? And it's like, well, customer experience. I mean, that's where in a personal training brand, we can beat a you know class-based concept or anything else. And then you start to look into, well, how do you do that? And what you realize is that just having, to your point, the e-myth idea, having a duplicable system that anyone on your team from the lowest level, as far as like experience and education coach to the best can deliver a consistent experience across the board is very difficult to do. Um, And so, you know, you talk about, I talked about the haircut story about, you know, every time the guy went in. He got a different kind of haircut. Now it looked the same, but the experience around it was different. And so it was like, you know, he says at the book, like, I'll never go back there again. It has nothing to do with the haircut. And the reason is the experience was different every time. And there's people underestimate what a disconnect there is. If Like simple, like in our model, if one coach you know explains things this way and another coach explains it that way, it's just going to feel different. Even if the workout and the form and all that stuff is the same, right? So even if you're getting a great workout every time, it doesn't matter. It's got to be the experience. And what's interesting about that is, <clears throat> excuse me, when people hear that, they think, well, I've got to be hitting on a 10 every time people come in, which to your point, it's just not possible. You'll drive yourself crazy, right? More importantly, but equally as difficult, I would say, is if let's say 10 is the best and one is the worst, if you can do a five all the time, but you always show up as a five in the yeah. in the least you know tenured person on your team. as good as the most senior person they can all produce the same customer experience around whatever the service or product or whatever it is that you're doing that's really the key and it's really hard to do that and then when you look at the real metrics that back that up because it sounds like one of these sort of like pie in the sky it's not tangible you know like well okay what does a five out of ten even mean it's like well the companies like McKinsey did a big study on 400 different large companies and what they found is on a scale of one to ten if companies could These companies that did well, by the way, were at a five as a rating for customers. So, like, nobody sits in a meeting, you or I, as entrepreneurs, and like, we're going to be consistently average. I mean, you don't do that, right? You're like, we want to crush every time, but, like, maybe you can do that. But put it this way, even if you can be, you know, average, but average every time, right, that someone comes in, then, you know, again, obviously, customer service scores are going to be higher. Those companies were 20% better revenue. They they spent 15% less money to service those same clients just by showing up with the same processes every time, regardless, right? Yeah. So that's obscenely hard to do, but it speaks back to, again, your your ideas around the e-myth. It's like build a systematic approach, run the play, right? Yeah. And that wake up every day and do the boring work and all the things that we say about that. It's like, listen, you have to do that to the point where you know, you're not hitting home runs every day. It's like impossible to do that. So can you just be pretty good, but every single day from now until, you know, your business is, is gone. It's like, that's a lot of work, but that's, there's real tangible evidence to show yeah. that's actually better for you. If you suck most of the time and then you just hit a home run every now and then, nobody cares, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and that happens in some businesses. It's like, look what we did, you know? I think the story I used was like this restaurant delivered a custom meal to someone who was sick who couldn't get to the restaurant. And they had posted on Facebook, I missed my favorite restaurant. And you think, wow, that's amazing. And the story made the news. And it's like, right. wow, this restaurant's amazing. But when you look at their Google reviews, they were like 3.2 because right. the place is dirty. They're always understaffed, the food's not that great. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. well, it's really not even that relevant. Like if you could just yeah. do it every time. Exactly, exactly. So that's a lot to say about that. But but yeah, that's exactly what I meant and how people underestimate how hard that is to do that.
0: Yeah. And didn't you say that there was like some poll done by um, like the owners or the staff thinking that they were like at an 80% customer satisfaction? Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's part of that same McKinsey study. Something
0: like that, yeah. We
1: went through all those metrics and it's like, okay, when the, like, and always say to the room, like, how many of you think you're providing a consistently, at least average customer experience? Every, almost every hand goes up and I'm like, great. These companies agreed with you. 85% of the companies said they were providing a consistently good customer experience. Now, here's the interesting part. The customers of those companies, only 8% (laughs) said that they were providing a consistently good customer experience. So it doesn't mean that you're not. It just means that we, if you're honest, we probably all have a lot of room for improvement, right?
0: Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yeah, you had, like I said, you you were one of the speakers that had so many of these little things. I'm like, oh, I got to write this down. I got to write this down. I got to write this down because it's all about... I think everything that we see. I mean, I talk about consistency all the time, and I think that is so huge. And it's so easy when so many people need help in so many different areas to get distracted. But it's so important to ask: Is this a distraction or is this a focus of where we need to be? So I'm sure
1: you go through this with uh, the owners, the business owners that you guys work with, and sometimes you're not—they're not even asking the right questions, right? Then you know it's kind of like, hey, can I afford to do blank? You know, that may be the the question, but you're like, whoa, that's not even the right question. Like what you really should be asking is how can we do right? reduce our cost around this or spend less here? Or if we're getting great traction, why don't you reallocate more budget to that? Right. So it's a lot of times just reframing like, OK, maybe maybe the right question is this. Right. Will really help people but yeah i'm sure you guys see it a lot as well
0: well and then also reminders of of your bigger mission and your bigger purpose too like is this a distraction with your money or is this going to help your bigger mission is this gonna go towards your cause and your why of your business so those are important things you know and it it goes back to exactly what you do with with coaching and and reminding people of their mission as well so um, yeah well Awesome. I really appreciate you being on today. Um, where can our listeners find you?
1: Easy. Just alloyfranchise.com or anywhere on social media. I've got, you know, from TikTok to, you know, you name it. I know it's weird. I'm on TikTok, but we have a marketing company. Like, got to be on TikTok. I'm not doing any dances. So that should give your listeners some relief. They don't have to watch that. <laughs> My, but if it's requested, I'll do it. I'll, whatever. I'll My
0: 13 year old <laughs> is trying to get me on TikTok. I'm like, can't you just, Make me a TikTok account and deal with it.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's the next big thing, right? As far as platforms, that's what oh our marketing goodness. company says. Like you get inexpensive leads there and a lot of eyeballs on it. And I don't spend a lot of time on it. So yeah. you can probably kill it on there, but I'm with you. It's like, man, is that really going to push the needle forward on right. your business? Probably
0: a distraction <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah that might be TikTok dances might be a distraction to <laughs> might use.
0: be a distraction might be a rabbit <laughs> if you hear
1: nothing today <laughs> right that might be the most important yeah
0: <laughs> yeah maybe you just need some entertainment some uh, you know loss of brain power or something you know, that's right but awesome well very cool I will put your information in the show notes um, and with a direct link so they can find you but I appreciate you being on today
1: thanks for having me it was a great conversation as always I look forward to you. And you guys at the next
0: event if you like this episode please be sure to subscribe and turn on your notifications so that you don't miss a beat we'd love it if you share this podcast your instagram story your facebook page or any of your other social media platforms so that we can help other health and fitness entrepreneurs out there succeed in business we so appreciate you listening in and until next time keep your goals high but keep each step attainable